Hey, fellow tennis nerds, I hope all is well. Another episode of the Tennis Nerd Podcast with Juan here from Restring. Uh, he has this new string zero out. He's also a great player. He's visited me in Marbella and we hit some balls. You maybe have seen that video. If not, please check it out. The string is great. So just for that reason only. How are you today, Juan? I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Jonas. Really happy to be on the podcast. And you're also a <laughs> member of the Nordic Dots team now. <laughs> correct, correct. Yeah, I met uh, Irakli when I was in Marbella. We, we actually got started speaking when the brand first launched. So I've been following them since. Really love their designs. And uh, fortunately, we managed to collaborate. We, do a, we did a little photo shoot. So that was my first time. And, and, and it was good. Really nice to meet him and, and get to see the clothing as well. Yeah, and you're a good model. Like, I mean, like, good fit, <laughs> good, uh, good height. Uh, so I, I think that's great for him as well. And also, like, I love the clothes. They're good, you know. I don't get no, paid to, to wear them. So it's just, like, it's what yeah, I Yeah, no, I me like. neither. Quality, the quality is, is honestly nice. They have nice jackets, pants, uh, socks, shirts, you name it, they have it, which is, which is really nice. So uh, really happy that I get to use their clothing. Yeah, cool, cool. So uh, let's start with, before we get into the string and, and the company you're working on, uh, what, uh, how was the DC, the city open that I, I sadly missed? Like DC used to be my hometown many years ago, but mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to go to the city open, couldn't make it this year. But you were a hitting partner for a bit, right? Yeah, no, really, really fortunate for the experience. It was, it was very humbling. Uh, I enjoyed it. I was there, fortunately, for, for the whole week. I started the Friday before the qualifying and it went right through the final. Um, the busiest days are at the very beginning, qualifying Saturday, Sunday, and then the Monday, Tuesday, where you have the majority of the players practicing and, and have their matches. And then as the week goes on, you have less players at the tournament, so less hitting practices. But, um, but yeah, so I was there. There were a couple lefties hitting partners um, as well with me. So uh, one of the pros and cons of being a lefty is that uh, you're there for special requests. So uh, the more lefties that there are in the draw, the happier I am because the more chances of someone, you know, requesting a lefty for them to hit with. Ah, yeah, yeah. So it's like based on that. So it's, it's just like they're preparing for this opponent and then they need a lefty guy because they're playing a lefty guy. Pretty how many much. lefties are there on the ATP tour? I, I'm like, I, I can't even mention like 10. I mean, how they many? Were, they were at the, at the City Open, there were six uh, men in the main draw. And then I think two, two or three women uh, on the WTA side. Yeah, yeah. No, it's tricky to play lefties. We all know that. So uh, we're not. <laughs> we're yeah, not. No, I, I, I hate playing lefties. <laughs> I, you feel that too. Like you feel like you're playing a mirror image. <laughs> you are. You are. Yeah. The spin comes a different way, uh, especially on the serves. That's that's honestly the the most bothersome part for me is when you play a lefty that you think it's going to kick one way, it comes the other. Um, but yeah, I was there. Um, great experience. I managed to hit with uh, singles, doubles players, ATP, WTA, um, practices either for 30 minutes or an hour long, depending on whether they had a match coming up or they were practicing and they had a match the next day. So it was really interesting to get to see the behind the scenes. Fortunately, as a hitting partner, you had access, at least in, in this tournament, you had access to the locker room. So you were there, um, you had access to the showers, you're practically showering with these guys. So it was really nice that, uh, that you got to you know live i got to live that life for for a week and it was yeah it was really nice yeah i think i hear that from my my friend carl who's uh mm. team as a coach like he's he says just like you're in the player room like because a lot of guys obviously they i think most guys who are coaches or hitting partners or involved in tennis <laughs> one dream one time in their life was to become a pro player and just feeling how that is and and being around it is, is a pretty cool experience in general i think that's what a lot of people like 
And, and for me, the, the most interesting part or what I pay the most attention to is what happens off the court, off the match court. I want to see, you know, in the locker room, in the gym, especially how long before practice do they warm up? What sort of exercises do they do? Are they doing mobility, range of motion? Um, all of that is, is really where my biggest interest is. And then on the tennis court, how they warm up um, is, is really interesting for me. The, the one that stood out the most was with Leila Fernandez. Fortunately, we hit three times that week, and two sessions were for one hour, one session was for 30 minutes, and the three times, she started the practice the exact same way. It was mini tennis, short court through the middle, mini tennis cross court, then we did this, and then mini tennis, she would go one cross, one line on both sides, and then we would repeat the same thing from the baseline. So things like that, uh, that you really don't see as, as a tennis fan through the TV, are the things that stand out to me the most. Why do you think she wanted to do that? Is that just something like that is kind of coming from an old coach, father, whatever, I don't know, her coaching situation? Uh, like, because usually these, like, these are habits that are built in somehow. Yeah, yeah no, her father was there. He said, uh, really nice guy, we, we spoke for a bit, he said that he recently joined back the coaching team. He was out for uh, about six months or so, so now he's back there. But uh, Leila's game, since it's not based on power, more or less it's based on accuracy, that's why they practice angles. So with the mini tennis, uh, she, can get, she has really good hands, good wrist action as well. So um, that's how she would warm up and finesse her, her touch uh, and her angles uh, as well. Wow, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. I actually talked to um, Carledo now because he hit with her uh, here. In, she was in Estepon, actually, where I just came from. Mm. And, and her, I mean, obviously she's not a power player, like Sabalenka or anyone, but, but she has a good like, sense of opening up the court and then going mm -hmm. in for a volley. She's really good at that kind of for skill. Sure. And then now it makes sense as to why they do that, that sort of practice. So again, it's extremely interesting to see what goes on behind the scenes, um, you know, outside of that, the match court, really. Yeah. Well, was there anything else you noticed like with other players that kind of surprised you in a way that how they prepared or how the kind of did the drills? Yeah, one, in off, one, one offs, um, for example, with uh, Samsomova, we hit as well. What was interesting is that for her, whenever, again, I, I saw this throughout the week, so whenever she would warm up her serves, um, most players, they'll serve a couple in, down the tee, a couple out wide. But what she would do is she would serve seven or eight serves, uh, her coach feeding her the ball and her hitting. And so the arm would be in consistent fluid motion so as soon as she would finish the serve she would she would have her racket up to hit the next ball and her coach was feeding eight balls in a row um, that was really interesting stood out to me but you know I, I understand the perspective it's it's all for, for fluidity and to warm up your range of motion when you're hitting a serve so that was another thing that that definitely stood out to me do you um do, did you hit with anyone like that, that you felt like okay the power was surprising or the spin was surprising or where it felt like you were surprised by the by the the experience of playing with this person. Yeah, uh, most shocking or most yeah nervous uh, session was with Tiafo. I was hitting with uh, Fernandez and Tiafo was playing a lefty in his next round. So uh, I, as I was serving to Fernandez, his coach comes over and he said, "Hey, could you come come over and serve a, a few balls when you're done?" And I was like, "Okay." Um, I didn't think much of it, but then when I went to the court next door, I probably hit maybe ten minutes of serves to to Tiafo on the do side and then on the ad side. And any time, uh, every time I would bend my legs uh, for the service motion, I could feel them shaking. It was just uh, a very surreal experience to, to hit with a top 10 guy for a bit. Um, and then in terms of what your question was, in terms of the, the weight of the ball, I hit with um, Pavic for, for an hour or a little bit more. And when you see him playing, you know, he's a double specialist. 
Um, it doesn't seem like he hits the ball very hard. It's, it's all based on placement. But even rallying with him from the baseline, his ball had a ton of weight. It, it, to me, it came very heavy. So that's one of the things that stood out is that on TV, you see the ball one way. But then in person, when you hit against it, it's, it's a completely different ball. Um, and the TV ha doesn't do the, the right justice in terms of showing how fast the ball comes or how much spin it has or, or even the weight. Yeah, I think that's generally a problem when you have all these kind of huge bird's eye view is that you don't, you just get, you can spot the angles really well, but you can't spot the pace and the spin. Mm -hmm. So it, it gets really difficult to understand. You know, tennis looks pretty easy. And then you hit with anyone who hits heavy balls and you're like, oh, no, no, no. And no, you're done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. So you had a really good uh, overall experience like of the, of the City Open this year. Yeah, no, overall really nice. Made some nice friends as well during that week. Um, saw some friends locally that live in, in the D.C. area. So uh, 10 out of 10. Very grateful that I was able to do it. And yeah, just overall very you know, grateful for that, for that experience. How, how hot was it? Was it like a heat wave there? It, or was, no? it, it was toasty. Honestly, the first weekend, it was you know, 38, 39 degrees Celsius, which in Fahrenheit maybe is 110, 115 or so. So it got up, it was pretty hot, especially on the tennis court. Um, the temperature goes up a couple of degrees. But then as the week went on, uh, the temperature dropped. Uh, so that was nice. What was interesting as well is that uh, because you have access to, to string your racket, um, you get to see a bit of the tensions that the players use. And as the week was hot, the first weekend, the tensions were quite high, maybe a pound or two um, higher than what they were at the end of the week when the temperature dropped. So that was also interesting to see that not all, but you had a couple of players that did change their tension as the, as the tournament went on. Yeah, it makes sense. You, I see more and more experimentation in general, I think. I mean, like you have guys like Rafa, who always goes 55 pounds, no matter what, like it's a storm or it's uh, just, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he plays on ice, he plays, he does 55. Could be also be a little bit like, you know, I've always done this, I'm not going to change now. Mm -hmm. But then you have guys <clears throat> that are really open to, to playing around with strings, even try new strings, try a hybrid, or they're maybe lost in that jungle of like, what is my gear? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, and, it's, and it's crazy. It's everything from the temperature to the, to the ball you use uh, to the altitude that players nowadays are adjusting their strings to. Um, just to take into account all the different variables and try to adjust to keep their game or at least what they can control as similar as possible. Yeah, no, you need to obviously control everything you can. And I think it's since tennis is becoming a game of more and more narrow margins, mm -hmm. people obviously want like they look at gear more, they look at nutrition more, they look at like my preparation more, warm up. Can I bring in another coach? Should I work more on my mental game? So everything is suddenly incremental before before maybe you had like, you know, McEnroe and Borg, they snort coke and then they go on the tennis court. <laughs> you know, try and play, you know. yeah. It was different. Right? <laughs> it was, it was. But yeah, again, like it's it's so nice to see the the behind the scenes, the even the the stringing team. It's it's crazy how these guys. Um, you know, we talk so much about the players, but the stringers they are there from eight a.m. to the last match, which can be midnight one a.m. So again, huge respect to them, and and that's something that the general public doesn't see on TV is how many hours they spend behind the scenes, and they're stringing every racket. And for them, it's it's about consistency. Every single racket has to be strung the exact same way, um, so that the player can perform. As, as they would like to. Yeah, I think that it, it's a lot of like things going into a tennis tournament. When you go into these ATP tournaments, WTA tournaments, you know, you need like, you know, ball boys or girls, you need umpires, you need, you know, linesmen. And the stringing team is just behind there, you know, hopefully they're in a good space. Sometimes they're in a tent somewhere, not even seeing the part of the tennis. Yeah. And then you have all the catering and all that stuff that goes on. It's like a huge, 
thing to just get this thing on the ground, you know? So mm -hmm. you definitely mm -hmm. want it to be a good vibe and atmosphere and, and good crowds and so on. Uh, so when you're moving around there, you're like walking around with, uh, you know, sets of strings. You're just handing out to people, no. you know, doing some marketing. <laughs> no, a little bit, a little bit. Fortunately, I had friends there who were helping me out. But uh, the, the priority for me was really to, to take in the experience. It's, it's once in a lifetime. So that was a priority just to enjoy because, uh, you know, not everyone has the opportunity to. And uh, so it was all taking it in. Uh, it was enjoying it. That's why, I, honestly, you know, for my tennis Instagram account, I didn't take too many videos of myself. I just had friends take videos of me because, um, you know, my priority was live it in the moment, live that week, enjoy it, and, and you know, try to take it in. I think that's a good advice in general in life. Like nowadays, everybody is seeing everything through their phone, right? So mm -hmm. they go and watch their kids. They, they see it through a, their rectangle of their iPhone or whatever. Yeah. And they don't actually there. You know, I think that's a general problem we all have. Like we're always distracted or in some other space, even when we're supposed to be like, okay, this is great. Like this is an amazing experience. Just breathe and, and take it in. But then it's the phone is always in the way. Like, oh, I have to capture it because I'm going to look at this later, yeah, which you yeah, rarely yeah. do tend yeah. to. You know? Yeah, yeah. So for me, that was a priority, honestly, blocking off all, all distractions and, and taking it in because it's just, it's, it's really nice. And that's one of, the, one of the good things about the City Open is that it's small. Like it's, it's a big in terms of ATP wise, 500 for ATP WTA is, is a good size tournament. So you have players that come, but the tournament site, because it's small, you have access to, you can be, you know, a couple meters away from the players when they practice and even when they play matches. So because you're so close, um, that to me makes it such a unique environment. You know, usually even now, you know, with the U.S. Open going on, it's so big. There's so many players um, that it's it's not the same. So I I do prefer a little bit of these smaller tournaments where you get to be closer to those competing. Yeah, I, I always felt like when I go to Grand Slams, like it's an amazing experience, but you get further away from the action. And even mm -hmm. if you have like. You know, we're lucky to be in Paris and watch Alcaraz like from almost the ground, you mm -hmm. know, but still yeah. it's, it's further away than if you go to like Stuttgart where I usually go or like to smaller tournaments like a v WTA 125, ATP 250, or even this, which is a little bit more boutique 500, you know, mm -hmm. then you get, and also I think players enjoy it as well, that it's kind of like you can be in a hotel close to the venue, hopefully, and, and just yeah. like everything is closer and, and more accessible. Closer and then it's it's a way in a way less distractions because even though it says it's in DC it's actually a little bit farther up north so where the tournament is played is is, is in a public park so it's pretty calm there aren't there isn't much noise so I think all of it adds up together um, and that's why I think it's it's a really nice tournament overall I hope to go I have never been like I didn't go when I was in DC either because next I was always year working. Jonas I'll be here uh, whenever you want to come <laughs> my arms will be open to receive you yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh and you're doing your instagram account i didn't mention that uh that's i will link that below as well like where you post like your own stuff but you also post some other stuff as well like how much time do you put on that in a week with uh, with all your work and stuff yeah i mean so i started that account a while ago um i was doing an internship in between my junior and senior year of college and i was in a town where there was nothing um so <laughs> Uploaded one video, um, didn't do much for three, four months, uploaded one more, um, and then slowly it started becoming a bit more consistent. Uh, and it's been good. Um, when I was living last two years ago in 2021, I was living in a city where there was absolutely nothing. Um, so that gave me a lot of time um, to focus on tennis. I, I enjoy it. You know, I, it keeps me accountable as well. If I have to, you know, if I haven't posted something in a week or two, it keeps me accountable to go to the gym, to go on court, to practice footwork, to practice some sort of exercise. 
Um, I'd say now on a weekly basis, uh, unfortunately not dedicating that much time to it, maybe in 30 minutes, maybe an hour, not honestly, not more than that. Uh, but before 2021, maybe last year, I would be dedicating maybe an hour closer to two on a, on a weekly basis. Cool. No, no. I mean, it, it can be like you we always get this if you have an iPhone. I don't know how it works on Android, but it's like you always get this like your time spent on the phone and you always get like, what the f what am I doing yeah, with my life? <laughs> and I'm not trying to spend too much time, but just like a lot of people message you via Instagram, even people you have on WhatsApp. So it's like WhatsApp, Instagram, maybe have other messaging services and maybe watch something on YouTube. I use it for yeah. podcasts a lot where I listen to. So then you get like scared, like, what is this? Like, it shouldn't be this much. Again, I'm not really that bad, but then like that's, uh, it's usually a scary thing to talk about with your friends. Like how much is your screen time? And it can yeah, be yeah, quite, yeah. No, it's, quite it's a dangerous. It's a dangerous topic. So yeah, but honestly, it's, um, I've enjoyed it. Like it's been, it's been amazing. The, the tennis fitness account, uh, I've met a lot of people. I've made so many nice connections. And I think that's what the tennis community provides you is, uh, is it's small. In a way, it's very large, but it's small. Uh, you know a few people and, and you know a lot of the community. So for me, the connections that I've made through that account in the past four years that I've had it, which is a while, uh, you know, very thankful for that. Sure, it's been great. And you're also like establishing your, your, your string business so uh, and your tennis business in general. So if we get into that, like, okay, you, you went to college. We can even start there. Like, um, and mm -hmm. did you do tennis in college or what was your major? Yeah, major major was uh, economics and finance. That's what, what I studied with a minor in accounting. So very finance oriented. Uh, I played freshman year, uh, my full year, sophomore. I studied abroad in the fall, so I only play, played in the spring. Junior, I didn't play. Uh, and then senior year was the pandemic. So the tennis season was just uh, the fall season for me. So my, my college tennis was a bit, uh, a bit unique. I only had one full season, which was my first. Uh, and then the rest were all half seasons. Yeah. I mean, like during doing anything during um, like the pandemic is obviously making everything like chopped into yeah. pieces. Did that disrupt your whole experience of college or did you still have a great time? Like, No, I did. I did. Honestly, great time. I uh, had a you know, really nice community. I live with uh, my last two years. I live with six other guys. So it was overall great to, you know, it was a nice brotherhood that we built. I do feel like, in a way, I never graduated since the pandemic was that last semester. Uh, I had no graduation, so it still feels like part of me is still in college. Uh, I don't feel that old uh, just yet. <laughs> you're, you're quite young, guys, so don't worry about that. Don't worry about age. I don't worry about age, so you shouldn't, right? But, uh, no, that, that's amazing. I mean, it's like, uh, and you would probably, uh, out, just by listening to you, you, would recommend other people to go to college, even if they want to be a tennis pro, for example. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, college is a great route. I mean, you have, again, lots of levels. You have amazing Division One schools where you have athletes that, that can play on the tour and can be top 400, top 500 with no problem. And then you have lower levels as well, um, where you have kids that are, you know, picking up tennis for, you know, for the, have picked up two, three years ago. Uh, but there's still, you know, that, that hunger for them to compete. So you have a, a ton of level in college tennis. Um, but I think it's a great route, especially for those that want to go into the pro tour and they're still developing themselves. If, uh, if they can get in a way of a full scholarship or a very strong one, it's free tennis. You get free rackets, shoes, clothes, gear, tennis balls, uh, strings. It's, it's a very expensive sport. So for those that are coming with, you know, um, families who don't aren't as as wealthy as others um, I think it's a really good route for them to sort of 
have free practice in a way, get schooling with an education, which is a, should be the priority in a way um, before they, they try to go on tour. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I think it makes all the sense in the world. And also you, you have that backup in case tennis doesn't work out. I mean, tennis is, is mm -hmm. tough. Like, you know, there's so many people who want to go pro that put so much money and time and effort into it. Yeah. And then it doesn't really add up because it's like hard to make money with tennis, even if you are a super talented player. It is, it is. And I think slowly ATP is doing a good job into that. Try, instead of giving the top guys more, um, feeding that income, um, distributing it into the, those ranked in the 100s, 200s, or even 300s. Um, but the, the college system is now, I, think, I don't know if you, you've seen it, but they've partnered with ATP, where I don't know the, the logistics, the specifics, um, but if you end, end up, for example, in the top 20, top 10 uh, singles rankings, you get wildcards into five or eight challengers mm, um, yeah. throughout the year. So I think that's a great program because um, it gives college students, um, they know that you know, they have the level and it gives them the opportunity to compete at very high levels without having to go through the entire Futures Tour. They gave them the opportunity to start at the challenger uh, and see what they can do from there. Yeah, I think it, to have kind of a connection where you incentivize and inspire people. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the thing, because, you know, with, with all these stories you hear about, like, okay, it's tough to make it. Tennis is such a financially difficult sport. Like, it's costly, whatever. Yeah. That you have some hope at, uh, of some other road into the pro life, I think is good. Because tennis is very rewarding as well, so we shouldn't just hash tennis. But it's just, mm -hmm. it's quite a complex situation yeah. financially if you're not from a wealthy family, right? Yeah, so I think there are opportunities that are slowly coming in. And I think at the moment, they, they've been very good for the sport. So yeah. it's really nice very to good. see that. So how long does it take before we see a restring zero on the ATP tour? Uh, it, it might be a while. It might be a while. It's been a, it's been a very nice um, project, honestly. It's been 11 months since zero has launched. So one year anniversary is uh, next week, actually. So I'm very happy for that. Very happy that the feedback um, from the majority of the players has, has been positive. So, you know, and yeah, it's just been, it's been a very nice year. It's gone much better than I thought it would for the first year or so. So uh, again, made great connections, the positive feedback, the messages that we get from, from you know, fellow players really helps a lot with regards to motivation. It helps a lot to reinvest in the brand and, and help Restring grow. Yeah, and it's uh, like you're two founders. So how did it start? Like you, um, obviously people want to start something in tennis if tennis is their passion. But it's quite difficult. Like it's not an easy, especially going into rackets is a, a big yeah. headache. But also strings, it's a lot of competition. Where do you, uh, you know, where do you have your USP, like your unique selling point? Mm -hmm. So how did that process turn out for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a complex story. I'll, I can start with with the origins, really. So Nick and I, we met when we were 12, 12, 13 years old. We met in middle school, sixth grade around there. Um, we both grew up in in Tokyo. So that's where we met. We did pretty much the entire middle school, high school together. And then when we went to college, I came to the U.S. He, he went to Europe and, you know, always stayed in touch. We we're pretty much brothers. We, we've stayed in touch. Uh, we talk every, every other day in a way. And uh, the idea came about in 2020. Um, you know, during the pandemic, we had time. And, and one of our biggest areas or of concern in a way was that tennis is a wasteful sport. You know, you use a can of balls once, maybe twice. You know, pros use them for 20 minutes and you waste them. Strings as well. You use them once, you waste them. Um, you can say the same for shoes. I'm using a pair of shoes a month in a way. You use them once, you waste them. So the idea was how can we 
reimagine um, what a tennis brand, what a tennis string can look like so that we maintain the performance to the peak, but we also think about the environment and we give back at the same time. So that's where the fusion of the two, that idea came about. And yeah, it all started in 2020. It took about two years or so, two and a half years to get um, zero launched, um, manufactured. So it was really interesting. I've learned so much throughout the way. Um, not just, you know, because you know, I've studied finance, as I mentioned, but I've learned a lot through the manufacturing side, logistics, um, supply chain, fulfillment, a bit of marketing. So it's really nice that um, I've gotten sort of a well-rounded, in a way, knowledge the past uh, couple of years. Yeah, it's obviously a process to start a company and, and create a product. And now you have to deal with all the logistics, as you said, which is, which is a hassle. Uh, even talking to guys like Iraqli, for example, dealing with customers all over yeah. the world that, that want returns or, or happy or not happy, whatever. Uh, so that's always a challenge. And, and I played the string. I really like the string. I like what you were, did with it. it. It worked well for me. And I've also handed it out to a lot of other players around here. And it's, it's been, a, it's been mm. a, a positive experience for, for, I would say, all of them. Uh, so, so great work. And now Thank you're you. working on another string as well, right? Now we're yeah slowly developing uh, string number two. The idea came about um, earlier in the year, around late spring, early summer. We thought, okay, you know, fortunately the the feedback's been positive so far with zero. So uh, we have we have the time, we have um, you know the the will, the energy as well to try to create our second string. So um, the idea is to launch late summer if we can, um, to, for it to be a little bit different than zero, different color, different shape, different playability, but the why I say it will be a little bit similar is that the, the best features in a way meaning the snapback durability um, mainly and the tension maintenance we would like that to maintain so again uh, a lot of learning throughout the way that's the goal for next year um, again really really enjoying it uh, and it's, it's it's been very nice as well working with in a way a brother uh, that I've known for so long there's a lot of trust um, between us which I think is is really important yeah, I was going to ask that because like working with anyone uh, is obviously a challenge, right? It's like so you have to find what, what are you going to do? How do you, yeah. you know, line up the work so it suits your skills and his skills? And, and how do you, uh, you know, structure your workload like in between you two guys? Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. And fortunately, we're very similar, but we're also very different in our working styles. I'm, uh, Nick is, is much more on the brand building, futuristic side of, of, you know, what can restring look like in a few years? And I'm more detailed. So uh, I mean, day to day, um, whether it's the analytics, whether everything for me is, is I need to be in the weeds. So fortunately, just how we are naturally, how our personalities and our ways of working are, um, we collaborate really well together because of that. So organically, the work, um, honestly, without even communicating, we know whose is what uh, with how we think and, and how our ways of working are. Yeah, I think that's important. And when you have a partner that you're kind of aligned and that you're naturally slotted into your tasks, so it's, there's not crazy overlap where you like argue about, you know, I want to do this, and, well, the other one wants to do yeah. this, and it's like, a, you know, it becomes like an argument for nothing, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. So fortunately, you know, we 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 get really well along together. You know, I know his family, he knows my family since we were little kids. So it's it's there's a lot of trust, uh, as I said, between us. And fortunately, you know, we work uh, we work really well together. That's great. That's great. So Tokyo, how did you end up in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, so I, I moved to, well, my family moved to Japan when I was nine. And we stayed there through when I graduated high school, so 18. So it was nine years there. 
And then near the end of those years, the idea was, okay, where do I go to college? Um, the thought was always to go back to Argentina. That's where my family is. Um, that's where I'm from as well. So that was always the idea. Go back to Argentina. College is free. <laughs> so that was the whole process. But then uh, in my last year, last two years, fortunately, my, my dad applied to a, to a job in the U.S. Uh, we, he got it, and then we all moved here. So that's what came about, and it came just on time with me graduating high school, moving into college. So I came to a university that is relatively close to D.C., about a four-hour drive or so away. So that was the main reason as to why I came here instead of going to school in Argentina. What's the name of the university? Uh, Lynchburg is what it's called. Ah, yeah, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I went to Shenandoah. Yeah, yeah, I remember you mentioned that. So they're <laughs> in the same, the same conference, which is crazy. So uh, if, if only I had gone to school a couple years earlier, we would have uh, been in the same league. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would have been fun. No, but uh, that, that's an amazing story. And, and, like, and I guess you have strong future plans of the brand and so on. How does your daily life look like? How much tennis do you play? In the, in the, in a, do you play every day? Do you coach? What, what, how does your structure yeah, I, it's, it's changed a lot in the past year. I still have my, my regular full-time job. That's, that's, that won't change. At that's the finance, right? In finance, yeah, in the finance industry. Um, so that, that will, will not change. Last year, for example, I used to do a lot of coaching, but then as Restring launched and, you know, fortunately work picked up, I stopped the coaching on the weekends. But on a day-to-day, -day, usually wake up around 6 or so a.m., um, try to get a, an hour or so of work in for Restring, head into the office, um, I'll get back home around seven ish and then either, and I try to do an hour or so of exercise on the daily. So, um, whether it's tennis, whether it's the gym running and I'll do that. And then at nighttime, try to squeeze another two or three hours or so, um, before heading to bed. So that's on, on an average on the day to day, what it looks like. Yeah. So lots of partying and, and yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I did have to miss one on a friend's birthday on Saturday. Uh, again, because of because of uh, reaching. So I mean, it's it's good. Sometimes you you have to be home and and work. But again, I'm learning so much. Uh, I enjoy the process, and uh, you know, as long as I as I get something um, out of this experience, I'm very grateful for it, and I'm giving it my my 100%. No, I 100% agree with this. I mean, like it's it's you're putting your work into a you know a, your passion. And so that's worth a lot. So I think it's, it's great to hear. And also it's like, it's just how about finding a balance where you also get some rest time, obviously. But I think mm -hmm. for, for myself and for, I guess, many people who are quite ambitious, I think that gym time or, you know, going for a long walk or run, like we talked about running before mm -hmm. we, yeah. we went on air or that tennis hour of tennis, two hours of tennis is just like a great meditation almost, you know, you feel afterwards, you feel mm -hmm. like you let a lot of stress out if you have anything pent no, up, it's, right? It's, it's critical, it's critical. For me, the, the time that you spend uh, in a way outside exercising for me is, is what makes my day. Even if it's an hour um, during the weekdays, I will, I will spend that hour and I will take priority over that um, versus anything. So, of course, on the weekends, sometimes, you know, I get desperate and I, if I have to play six hours of tennis, I will play the six hours. Um, it's tough to get me off the court. But like, as you said, the, the time you spend exercising for you, kind of like me, is, is critical um, because you also relax the mind, you de-stress, you're not thinking about anything. So uh, it's, it's important. Yeah, for sure. And it's very, very important. 
when mm-hmm. it comes to uh, exercise, we talked about running before, and uh, is it something you're getting into more and more? You said like you you did eight eight k today or what? Yeah, yesterday it's peer pressure from the friends. Um, they they're all on Strava, the running app. So I've ah, had uh, okay. Nick. Nick, for example, he's a he's a big runner. He's on Strava, um, but no, I have this one of my friends. He's he's biking from the the coast or the border between the U.S. and Canada to Chile. He's doing 150 kilometers a day, for example. So there are these. I do have a couple of friends that are crazy um, that go all out. But, um, but yeah, it's a bit of peer pressure to get on Strava and, and try to lock in the, the kilometers and run for a bit each each week. Well, that's positive peer pressure. It's not like chugging beers. No, it's actually yeah. like doing something good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. But it's good. It's, it's, it's healthy competition as well. Um, you're doing it for, you know, you're doing it to compete to see who can who can run the most. Which is nice, you know. On, on the run yesterday, it was four of us that went, so it's nice to get uh, a group of guys to go running, um, spend some time together. You talk during that chat or during that run, so um, it helps a lot. Sort of do do different things together, not just um, hang out during nighttime and, and go to parties. Yeah, no, I think it's great, and it's like very constructive. Obviously, good for the body, good mm-hmm. for the mind. Most of all, I think people sometimes underestimate how good exercise is also for your mind. Like it's yeah. it's, it's you exercise both, you know, the body and and the mind. And uh, obviously, if you have friends, it's a social thing as well. So yeah. uh, as, as is tennis, like tennis is such a social sport. Maybe we should have a Strava for tennis. We have to think of uh, a good app. <laughs> hey, I like that. Logging in how many hours a week are you are you on the court hitting balls? That could be nice. <laughs> yeah, it could be good. Maybe find some like, uh, you know, a way to gamify the number of drills you do and stuff like that. I think that's uh, that could be a good thing it, to yeah. incentivize more tennis and not so much pickleball. And then you create the community around it, which, which is, I think, the best part about the, <laughs> the tennis world is the community. You know, we, we spoke about it when we met up, you know, earlier in, Marbe- in Marbella in, in June. But the, the tennis community is, is great. It's very supportive. Uh, and you get to know people well and quickly. My, my best connections have come through tennis, to be honest. So uh, it's, it's, you know, 10 out of 10 in terms of the community. And yeah, that's why I think it could be good. We launched the app, we strengthened the community. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed, I mean, that was the whole idea when I, I mean, I came from, from business world as well, like, you know, marketing and stuff. Yeah. And when I w- came over to working more and more towards tennis, I, I noticed that community feel, which I had, like when you have, when you grow up as a kid, you play sports and stuff, you really like the community aspects, you meet friends, you, you get along with people. And that's so important. And I think that's uh, also the idea, the whole idea behind Tennis Nerd was like that it's a, Thing that people would like to wear as a badge of honor like mm-hmm. like you know i'm a tennis nerd it's something you can say meaning nerd in a positive context which is kind of a more of a positive word these days than it was when when i grew up but yeah. it's like you know you you take the pride in your passion you know and that that's really important and in tennis i think it exists quite strongly you know which is yeah, great for sure for sure no i i completely agree when it comes to uh, watching any tennis, have you? Um, i mean you you watch some really good live action in the dc i guess right so mm-hmm. that's one thing uh, but have you watched any TV tennis? Yeah, uh, for me, it's mainly the highlights. Uh, that's, I, don't, I can't. Uh, that's one of the pros and cons of tennis is that matches are long, um, which is good. So if if you don't if you can't catch the first hour, you know that there will be another one. But sometimes they go on for too long. So for me, you know, it's it's tough sometimes to sit down and watch an entire match. Um, so I, I mainly focus on highlights, catch up on the re- on you know on yeah the reels, see what matches have been played, won and lost. So I try to stay up to date with, uh, with what's going on on the ATP and WTA tour. But uh, as the years have gone by, I've spent less time watching the matches and more time looking at results and, and just the highlights. 
Yeah, I think that's an in- interesting situation. I mean, like there are some five set matches, which is like a you know great movie, Oppenheimer, whatever you want to watch for three hours, and and then there are many many matches that are not maybe great movies. Mm-hmm. And I discuss this topic with a lot of people, obviously, on the podcast. It's like, should we do something to tennis to shorten the matches or change the format a, a bit? Or should we just let tennis be what it is and be like this kind of Joe Rogan three-hour podcast? Mm. Uh, but tennis is also, you can't really passively watch it. Like a podcast, I can listen to a podcast when I clean my house, right? That, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But you can't watch a tennis match while you clean your house because you're going to not see a lot of tennis or not get a very clean house. So it's yeah, like, well, uh, too. <laughs> that, that's very hard to, um, to get into that. And then you would, you will, obviously the key moments are the important points. Like you want to see the, the juices when it's five all, right? That's, yeah. that's when I want to tune in. I'm like, okay, it's a tie break. Uh, first set that's gonna settle a lot of how the match moves. That's when I want to watch it, you know. So, uh, do you have yeah, any ideas? It's, there? it's an interesting topic, you know. As as the generations goes on, especially with how technology has developed, the attention span is it's is much shorter. And you know, when you look at the gen- younger generation, none of them watch a full tennis match unless you have tennis nerds, tennis fanatics, young you know teenagers. But the majority, um, not really. So it's an interesting topic um, because, again, you do have, like you mentioned, five-step matches like the Wimbledon final or even the, the Western and Southern um, Open final between Djokovic and Alcaraz. It's, you, you have matches like that where it's, it's great that they're long because you, know, you, you get to watch great tennis, quality tennis for longer. But then you have other matches where you know, it's, it's the attention span of someone watching that match might be shorter. So it's definitely an interesting topic. I don't know enough uh, to comment or to you know, suggest changes, to be honest, but it's, it's definitely up, one up for debate. Um, I think UTS, the Ultimate Tennis Showdown, has been an interesting sort of you know, tangent that, they, that they've thrown in. Um, different point systems, you have cards that you, know, you, you throw a, a point is worth twice or you just have a second serve. Things like that are nice because it's not, it's not monotonous. You have things that come in and out, you know, different points, different games, which I think is, is a nice variety. I don't know if that can be the, the, the new tennis. Uh, it's difficult to see it that way. But I think it's nice that you do have different varieties, whether it's that, the Labor Cup, um, the Davis Cup. It's, I think it's nice that you have things throughout the year that, that change the rhythm a bit of how the, the tennis goes. I agree. I think like being able to experiment a bit with shorter formats like they do in the next gen with the four you know, four uh, game sets, mm-hmm. five sets, of course, but at least up to four games pretty quick. And maybe we can remove some of these elements, which, the, you know, the, the lets, for example, on the serve. I mean, like, potentially you can keep some Grand Slams, the last three rounds of Grand Slams, the same because of history yeah. and whatever. But maybe for ATP 250s, WTA 125s, whatever, you, you, can, you can be a bit more free with experimentation because the rules will apply for everyone, right? So it's the same yeah. rules. It's just that people need to adjust a bit. Yeah, no, it's definitely interesting. I'm curious to see what will happen. I think the priority now for the, for the ATP WTA is sort of the, the distribution of what we talked about before, the distribution of, of income in a way, because you want to have tennis be as accessible as possible to the largest number of quality players so that they can bring new personalities, new play styles. And I think that, I'm, I'm, you know, I agree that that should be the priority. Then how tennis is played and all the other ifs and buts around it, I think will be an interesting conversation um, to see how, how tennis develops. Because you have other sports like pickleball, for example, or even paddle, which in Europe and in Argentina is extremely popular, that I love as well, that, uh, that compete and, and can take a bit of the, the market share away. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's true. Uh, 
pickleball matches they're quite a bit shorter right so that's that's i don't watch so i no clue i just know that a couple pointers here and there but uh the 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 noise bothers me a bit too much <laughs> yeah yeah no no i'm not like I'm, I'm i'm a fan in people exercising i'm not sure uh it deserves all the hype it gets like that's my uh, question mark like i think it's a little bit silly but uh but i also rather have people do that it's just yeah. like it's it's it, my mind it's overhyped yeah you know? no it's it's crazy if how much popularity it has if you go to any park here you have you know four pickleball courts two three tennis courts the pickleball courts are full with a line and the tennis courts are empty or they're being taken over by the pickleball players so it's uh the the popularity is definitely present um and yeah it's 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 in a way interest it's unfortunate to see that uh there's more pickleball players on court than there are um tennis players yeah it's an accessibility thing like it's easy you, you hardly sweat like you i've seen people drink beer while they play pickleball which is uh not the athlete's mind maybe uh and tennis is tough right but uh, there are maybe different ways to mitigate like you can use green dot balls maybe for the weaker players you can play more doubles maybe potentially at least up to a certain point Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, but the best thing about pickleball is that it's it's accessible. If uh, if you take an hour, two, three hours of, of pickleball lessons, you're good to go. You can play, you can compete. And I think that's what catches the, the eyes of people and especially the elder. Because there's less movement, um, there's less pressure on the joints. It's easier for you to get to the ball. Um, you know, when you have older people playing tennis, it's all moon balls. They take, they can only take two, three steps one way or the other. It's And it's different. Um, so I definitely get the appeal from their perspective. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely interesting. I just wish, I hope that tennis can maintain and, and not get taken over by, uh, the, at least the courts by the pickleball players. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think we need to protect tennis, but uh, we can just like applaud if the other sports are do well, but yeah. we, we, we just keep tennis going because tennis is doing be better than people think. I think people have the, this perception that tennis is doing badly, but tennis is, has no, been no. growing since the pandemic. So I think it tennis has. is, is, is a, it's still a very popular sport, like one of the top five sports in the world. So for sure. And then having young athletes that uh, that are extremely well at the top of the world ranking and will be there for the next five, 10 years is I think is great because that you'll maintain sort of the longevity of the sport. And that's a player people can follow for, for some time. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, like Al Alcaraz and these guys, like they right. are exciting enough to be a good uh, substitute for, I mean, hard to say substitute, but Rafa and Roger, they are, Rafa soon retires, Roger already retired, Novak at some point will stop winning slams and, and retire. Yeah. Uh, so I, then we, we're not really in a bad spot with the current crop of players, which is yeah. a good feeling, right? No, for sure, for sure. So I think that's good. How the, how the tennis is left or how the next couple of years will go is, is very important. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what happens? Like, and then maybe that there needs to be room for some experimentation in the coming years and see what what we can do to well, make sure it also stays like a fascinating sport to watch you know so mm -hmm. it's like it's not because if you see the, the numbers drop in how people stream matches or you know because I, I think there's a point to be made with the highlights which uh, you know i talked to with nicola ratchet from intuitive tennis a mm -hmm. uh, smart guy and he's like you know he doesn't think for, for tennis iq it's not so good to watch highlights like because like you're yeah. you're not learning anything from the match you just not at all like this point was good this point was good it has nothing about the story arc of the match like who was you know going straight out of the gates with three zero and then he had like got yips on his serve and now it's you know that's the storyline in tennis is quite inter interesting right so mm -hmm, i think you mm -hmm. lose a bit of that but at least you get a gist of what happened so you get a, like an idea of it you know yeah it is it is um for sure and, and that's that's one of the pros and cons of tennis is that when 
when matches do go on for long periods of time, you have so many shifts in momentum, so many shifts in what happens to an individual player. Like you said, the, the yips on the serves, that might last two service games and then they're back. Or they might have 10, 15 minutes where they're seeing the ball this big and they go out of the park. So it's, that's, I think that's one of the pros and cons. You know, the, the matches get long, but you learn a lot. You can see a lot from the players. Uh, if you pay attention, you can, you can see the shifts in momentum and, and the, the reason and the why behind um, those shifts have, have happened. I have a great idea now. Uh, <laughs> I pat myself on the back. I it would be good for highlights <laughs> if you had a smart guy or girl uh, or, you know, two, but like this is a one-man job maybe. Uh, sit down and narrate the storyline of the match, right? So it's like you capture, you talk through it like a little bit of a, like a, like a short movie, you know? You say, mm. all right, but then Djokovic, he was very nervous. He started like this. So you kind of capture mm. the key points, not only the highlights. So you also talk through what happened in this match. You break it down maybe in like, it could be a 10-minute clip, yeah. but it's, it's broken down in the key elements of the match in an engaging way. So the storyline stays, but you see like, the key points and you have you get that yeah. whole like it's like an episode of of uh series. i think that could be a good uh, no, way to do it definitely and, and you have the analytics of of sports especially in tennis now it's becoming so much more in a way analytics based um you have you know have you heard of craig o'shaughnessy for example um yeah, yeah, of course so, i mean yeah he he took pretty much the idea of moneyball and baseball and and in a way gave it to tennis and that's how sort of the analytics behind the, the sport came about. And I think even now, like if you go on the ATP website, you can see IBM has an analysis after each match, you can see percentage of first or second serves, and then you can dive in. Um, how many slices cross court, slices down the line? Um, how did they serve on each side for set one, set two, set three? Um, all of that I think is, is important and can help narrate you know, the story that you're talking about. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, using data in a good way uh, of making the product more appealing mm, uh, is mm. important. I think they do it well in other American sports, uh, at least better than in tennis. Tennis has been kind of very, like, we know serve speed and uh, like unforced errors has always been measured in a slightly strange way, right? Like, what is an unforced error? And it used to be like a human who was like, that's an unforced error, that's not an unforced error. But now you can actually program algorithms to be like quite smart about it and say, hey, you know, the reason X, Y, Z won the match is because of these key points mm -hmm. and then what he did there. And it can actually analyze everything, like, you know, Strategy. meters run and everything, right? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think it's, 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 it'll be nice to see the more it becomes involved uh, in the sport. Have you been watching any uh, US Open? Like, is that been on your agenda? Like, it's, yeah, yeah. I know you're at work or you're working, but uh, it started just a few hours ago, I think, right? Yeah, today, day one of the, of the main draw. I'm excited. Um, it's a good tournament. The best part about it is the time zone. So you get to see matches during the evening when you come home from work or because um, if not, usually you're in the mornings, especially with tournaments in Europe. I'm in the mornings. That's when I check all the results. So with the time zone, it's great. Uh, I'm excited to see how it goes. What, what are your predictions, by the way? Who do you think can take it on both sides? <clears throat> I even did this bracket challenge where I invited a bunch of people. So it's a challenge. Like, so if you're in the States, you can actually win a million bucks, right? Oh, but... I, I filled it out actually as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should, right. should join the, the Tennis Nerd group so we can keep track of everyone. It's yeah, like a, no, a actually, leaderboard. I'll join it. <laughs> I think it's like 30, 40 people. So 30 people maybe. Nice. Uh, so that's fun. No, but it's yeah, like... We're... Yeah, sorry. Uh, Already, there's been so many upsets. Like what I've, I just saw now, um, like this, this evening, I was like, okay, Rude lost, um, team beat Bublik, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were already two upsets. Sakarishi yeah. is out as well, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So who did you have, by the way, to win to win on both sides? I I put Novak to win. I think he's super motivated. Okay. Like after beating Alcaraz, like I'm an Alcaraz fan, as I told you before. But uh, yeah. but I think Novak is too strong at this point. Like I think he really wants to win U.S. Open. I think it eluded him a few times now. So it's mm-hmm. like he's. Yeah, I did the same thing. On the men's side, I picked Djokovic, and on the women's, I picked uh, Goff. She's been having a really good hardcourt summer season, especially since Brad Gilbert joined her team after the after Wimbledon. So I think she's she's got a lot of momentum. Favorable draw as well. Now that Sakari's out, um, outside of Iga, I think she can go quite far. Yeah, I I picked her and Pagula to go far. But in the end, I went with Pagula. I don't know some like some gut feeling, but she's also playing well. But, but I think mm-hmm. Goff is maybe the most improved. They had this discussion like, should they change the discussion? It, it's a thing about her forehand, right? So Rick Macy was on my podcast, talked about how her forehand uh-huh. is her big weakness. He would like to work with her. This was before the Gilbert story came out. Yeah. And now Gilbert said he won't start changing her grip because she has a slightly weird grip on the forehand, right? So uh, uh-huh. uh, and. I think, you know, it's not mm. Brad Gilbert's mm. thing to go and change technique. He was never like a technical whiz. He's very good with the mental, like winning matches from, from, mm-hmm. you know, anywhere really. Right. Like even if you're yeah. a weaker player or whatever. No, that's, that's, that's really interesting. No, but I'm excited to see how, how the U S open goes, um, especially with the night matches. Those, those always get uh, pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a crazy vibe. Like I, I've never been to the U S open, so I hope next year that's the plan to go. Uh, for mm. sure. I wanted to go this year, but I was too late in applying for the press credentials, like where you can actually mm. go in and out and, and have like mm. press room seat. That would be perfect for me. You know, I had that. Yeah, I had that before, but uh, it seems like a great event. Did you go ever?
Yeah. It was funny. I think uh, Bublik had said th there was a translation from Russian. I, I really maybe shouldn't be repeating, but it's, it's like he said, uh, I'm always helping these uh, cripples. He said cripples or disabled people <laughs> come back to tennis, <laughs> like come back. <laughs> and he always gets the, the guys coming back from injuries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's a disabled people, which yeah. I think he will get some fire from. But Probably. like when you're in the, in the heat of the moment, like you know how frustrating tennis is. It's like one of the most frustrating sports you can play. So you can say stupid stuff. Like, I, okay, I've never said anything that stupid, but I haven't played on that level either. So, But yeah, you hear it from time to time though. You hear it. <laughs> you know from who. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've been in, like I was uh, near, uh, I was in Nick's box during the Stuttgart last year and yeah. <laughs> he was uh, sputtering out some stuff that you couldn't tell kids, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you keep it PG, PG. <laughs> yeah, PG for sure. So, how's your own tennis going? Like you, you were uh, aspiring pro, I would say, right? That was your plan, or I don't think. I mean, of course, when I was a kid, yeah, you know, great, yeah, would love to go pro, whatever. But you know, as 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 I got older, you know, for for me, the priority was always to go to school. So the pro career really never was an option. Um, to be honest, I played maybe one ITF qualifying event when I was sixteen in Japan. But that was it. And also, you know, living in an island, um, you have to travel a lot, take flights to go anywhere. So it really wasn't um, that feasible. I still love playing tennis. You know, if I can play, I usually play between six hours, around six hours a week. And then love the, the whole fitness aspect of it um, and love competing. Thing is, finding tournaments and everything is, is a bit tougher now with, with work. But um, yeah, I still have that, that competitive edge and, and love to practice and everything with the idea of, I can continue to improve um, every time I step on the court. Yeah, that, man, that's great. No, I mean, you're a really good player. I, I hit with you in, uh, in Marbella and uh, you hit, hit really well. I hit play with futures players as well. And, and like you're, you're on that level. So for sure, it's like some, yeah. you, you maintain you. it well. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, mind, the mind is where I start to lose, start to lose things. You know, people you know, now are beginning to talk a bit more about the, the mental side of tennis. But I think that's where my biggest area of improvement is. Physically, I think I'm okay, but, well, could be better, but I'm okay. Uh, but on the mental side, it's, I'm a mess. I'm a mess, especially if you don't play matches repetitively and get into that, those pressure moments. It's, you know, when you get into it for the first time again, after a while, um, nerves kick in, you don't make the right decisions as you would have if the point was 15 love versus deuce or 30 all. So I think that for me is the, the biggest gap is definitely on the, on the mental side, uh, just not being used to playing matches, honestly. I think that it's huge and on any level, right? Like you need that muscle train, right? So you, you know, like how to, you know, not tighten up too much, how to react at 4-4, 30 all, uh, third yeah. set, whatever. Like these types of pressure moments, you need to handle them well. And, and people, like, I think the emphasis on mental tennis has been more and more and more every year now. I mean, Svantec, she's kind of famous for bringing in like a mental trainer. Obviously, they, yeah. the top guys, they, they have some kind of, training mentally uh federer worked with one guy uh early in his career i think maybe mm -hmm. to go from he was kind of like a really angry uh on court and now then he was like a saint for his whole career like he, he remained yeah. i mean he broke one racket against you know novak in 2009 but it's like mm -hmm. such controlled calm behavior um and, and that's that's oh, and obviously rafa as well always keeping it pretty chill novak can show a little bit yeah. more uh, but but they are mental beasts. Yeah. Like it's just impressive how they keep playing at the top level on the, in these pressure moments over and over again.
Yeah, and it's, and it's interesting during the city open while I was there with Fernandez, um, while she was taking breaks, I was talking with her dad. Her dad's from uh, Ecuador, so immediately started speaking Spanish, started speaking about soccer, you know, or football, and the conversation kicked off. And I started asking them uh, a bit more detailed questions about her tennis. What do they do? What does you know training blocks look like? What times during the year do they put a bit more focus on the physical side of of tennis? And one of the questions that I asked was about the mental side. How how do, how much they train mental tennis on a, on a week day-to-day -day basis? And they said that yeah, um, every day they at least put in you know an allocated amount of time to focus on her mental side because she's one of those players that consistently has a poker face, doesn't show too many emotions, whether the match is going good or bad. She's very in the moment, and that that was interesting to just to learn a bit about you know what does that look like. Um, from a professional tennis player standpoint, so you know, I agree. There's a lot of emphasis nowadays being put more on the on the mental side of even what goes on the court. Yeah, I think it's it's great. I mean, I think it's so important in any sport in in life in general that you learn the tools. Like, I mean, it's uh, mm -hmm. there's so many guys and girls that go bonkers on the tennis court, and they kind of like leave a mess after them, like, and they are a mess afterwards because they they. I mean, it's such. Tennis, you're alone mm. on the court. It's like a gladiator sport, but with rackets and balls, right? So, um, kind of UFC on the court, right? And and with the net yeah. in between. And it's like so much emotion in it. Money, in some case, I mean, if you play professional tennis, there's money, a lot of money to win or lose one match. It's a big difference, mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. in a Grand Slam or something. So, you got to give them a lot of credit for doing that. But then to make sure you maintain, you have to kind of do it all the time, I think. I think there is a lot of potential lost for players who have not done the work, you know, like they, they could mm -hmm, have maybe mm -hmm. worked men with a mental trainer or on their mental strength earlier in the career, but they just didn't put in the effort or it wasn't maybe a topic back then, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, and when you interview or when pro players get interviewed, what's the biggest difference? You know, those that make the jump between the top, you know, 150 to 100, top 50, what's that difference? And they said it's playing the right points at the right time. And it's all, you know, big, big portion of it is due to the, to the mental side of the sport is making the right decision because one shot can really, you know, change a point, which can change a game, a set, a match, and, you know, yeah, maybe a tournament. True. And I, I've seen, uh, like, I think it's also getting a bit better on the WTA tour. For a while, it was like, you know, just big hitters trying to, you know, out-hit their nervousness almost. It's like, if I go big on every shot, I don't have time to be nervous or, or tight because I'm, I'm always loose. I'm always going for it. And it's more of a hit or miss. And some days I hit miss, some days I, I, I make it. Mm -hmm. uh, but you see players like Leila, for example, or Iga, for, they, they play smart tennis. They play more open up angles, go to the net, play the points a bit smarter, always keep fighting, you know, a lot of like yeah. um, fist bumps and stuff. So it's becoming more similar to the ATP, I would say, in that sense. Like mm -hmm. they're using more topspin and they're using more, more strategy in their game, which wasn't so oh, yeah. common maybe for 10 sure. years ago. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I completely agree with that. It's interesting to see as well. Mm -hmm. So what, what, do you, what happens in your head when you're playing uh, tennis? Do you, uh, you get too hard on yourself or, or do you feel like just very tight so your muscles tense up or is it a mix of everything? A mix of, I like short points. Uh, <laughs> so if the, the, shot, the points can be two, three shots, I'm, I'm good to go. As soon as the points start to get a little bit long mentally, I, I check out. Um, that was what I did, you know, since I was young, in a way, um, I'm more like the like what you mentioned. Tennis was before big hitters, big shots, and that was it. That was 
I'd still have my tennises today. Trying to change it a little bit, but uh, but no, it's for me my weakest point is the the longevity of the points. The longer they go, the weaker I get mentally, um, honestly. So I think that's a bit of lack of playing tournaments uh, for a couple of years, for two three years now, uh, and and not being able to train that consistently. Hitting wise, I think you know I'm doing okay, but it's that that mental side that uh, I just don't don't practice really um, often. Did you look into um, like reading books or, you know, what did you uh, like, you know, go into that topic more? No, to be honest. Um, I mean, yeah, I've read books. I've watched some YouTube videos, you know, to learn how to improve that side. But to be honest, you know, I never really thought my tennis could go. You know, I want to get better, but I never thought I could be great. So in a way, that's that's where <laughs> that's where it ended for me. Um, and it's also good to know your limitation and also sometimes it's good to be self-aware enough to say, hey, I, I'm not seeing myself as top 10 ATP or even like, you know, hacking it out around 300. I, yeah, I, yeah. I'd rather go for like a regular like profession and, uh, you know, do something with tennis on the side, like with, for example, you're doing now with the tennis brand, like restring and, and the yeah. zero string and other strings coming. Uh, so I think it, it's good to have that self-awareness. I think also there's players who, mm. who go maybe too long, who stay in the career too long and don't have a backup. And then it becomes like they become like reluctant tennis coaches, which is not the best tennis coach when you're a reluctant tennis coach. Like you want the tennis coach to be someone that's like, I really want to help people get better at tennis or understand tennis better. Yeah. Uh, but you see yeah. some players that go there and they're like tennis coaches because there are no other jobs that fits their CV or their life, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, some, but you know, pros and cons. Some people do enjoy that tennis route and being stuck to tennis their whole life, and others, like you said, they'll call it quits early. They, they'll realize that maybe this career path isn't for them, and they'll decide to go on a different one. You're using your own string, obviously, and and uh, I like that mm -hmm. one too. Like, how long was the development phase? Like, how many samples did you have to go through, like, to get to? where you are today with the restring zero, the yeah, first string. Yeah, a lot of samples, a lot of development. It's interesting. So the one of the other good things between Nick and I is that we're quite different with our playing styles. Like I just explained my, my play styles, I go big. Um, I'll, I hit with a lot of spin. I tend to break strings close to an hour and a half, an hour and 15 of playing. Nick on the other side, um, he, you know, he needs soft strings. Um, whereas I like stiffer. He needs soft strings. He's used to using hybrids. His game is a bit more flat um, compared to mine. So what's good is that because our styles are different, we combined those opposing poles of knowledge to create zero. So we wanted, for example, for me, it was durability. That's the main thing. Have a string with good durability and tension maintenance, which is important because you have strings that, you know, once you play with them for 30 minutes, an hour, the tension drops off quite quickly. So for me, those were the two, two key things is to have the durability and the tension maintained throughout the life of the string. And then for Nick, it was more along the aspects of the power and the spin that you could generate with a hybrid, depending on what you use, that might not be as accessible. So we combined sort of the two likings into one, and that's what zero um, is in a way. Both of our likings we've hit with, I, I can't tell you how many strings, just because of finding the right one for me before um, before creating zero. And then now same thing with, with the second string is we have samples we're developing because a lot of people don't know, but it's not just the shape that impacts how a string plays, but the color as well. That's something that um, isn't talked about um, too much.
color, strings of the same color tend to play in a similar way if they're shaped similarly. So those are things that you know we learned along the way, or at least I did, um, take into, into consideration. But yeah, definitely took a lot of hours, a lot of investment, a lot of samples as well to get um, sort of the best solution that we could because we don't want to compromise on the performance at all of, of the string. No, and if you're going <clears> to <throat> play with the string yourself as well, it, it makes sense. Like, obviously, you don't want to go uh, and uh, play with all the power when you have your own string brand. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So you want to have like uh, something you really feel, this is uh, what I believe in, this is a good product, I like playing with mm -hmm. it, and it performs well, and then that's so much easier to sell something you believe in. I think it's generally in business, if you're selling some solution that it's not really... You know, yeah. uh, you know that it's like a multi-level marketing scheme, or it's just like a slightly uh, off product. You know, it's it can't be nice. You know, it must yeah, no. be tough on the. I agree, and, and I think that's what comes in with when you test different strings. With every string, there's something that you'll like and something that you'll dislike. So, you know, we took all those factors into account, and for us, yeah, the, for me at least, the the durability and the tension maintenance were were key things. And then, again, for Nick, it was the spin, the power, and 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 with that comes the the snapback. So fortunately. We managed to get all, if not the majority of those factors together. And we're really happy with, with Zero, how it plays. We're really happy with the feedback that we received. Fortunately, you know, made some great connections in the past year and people have been supportive, which is, is really nice. So um, if we can continue to give back and get involved in, in the tennis community, um, that'll make me just, just happy to, to continue moving forward. Like you said, we talked about it earlier, like the tennis community is like this important part. Like, and, and people are, um, especially tennis nerds in general, but it's like quite keen on testing new things. And also, mm. I think if you see a story where there's smaller brands, like there's quite a, quite a few smaller brands, but in strings, but uh, in rackets, there are not that many. And you generally see that feeling that people rather support the smaller operations than if they can, like then to go for the big dragons, which have huge marketing budgets and can endorse players. Cause I think in tennis mm -hmm. marketing, endorsing players is so important, like to get, you know, a pro player to, to use your string. Uh, it, it's, yeah. it's a huge, um, achievement, but it's also like, it probably requires quite a significant budget, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. The visibility difference as well. If you get, if you sponsor, whether it's strings, rackets, clothes, if you sponsor a player, that's, top 200 still ridiculous level but someone at the 200 mark and someone at the 50 mark or someone at the 20 mark the visibility is is crazy you you'll probably never unfortunately see on tv someone at the 200 mark unless they make it far in an atp event um, but since they don't show challengers mainly you know on the tv whether it's tennis channel or espn you name it uh it's just tough so even though they play at a ridiculous level uh, because they don't get that much visibility, it's tough to, from an investment side, it's tough for a brand to put in money for them um, just because the visibility might not be there. So it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting topic um, within tennis. And I don't know if you saw, but earlier this year, that's what Nike did. They, they dropped a couple of the players that, even though they were ranked in the top 100, top 200, because of that visibility aspect, they're, they're focusing on their top 10 guys, top 20. And, and that's where the majority of their, their marketing expenses is going towards. Yeah, for the bigger brands, I think uh, it's hard to motivate, like giving out even rackets. I mean, rackets, sometimes you need to maybe give out four or 500 in the world. I think that's usually where mm -hmm. the cutoff is when you want to give someone a free racket deal, you know, where they get rackets and strings maybe. Um, mm -hmm. But 
like okay they may be playing some challengers a max uh, maybe you know a bunch of futures obviously but the visibility as you say like even on challenger tour and i think the challenger tour has enough of a product that you could make it you know more easily available like tennis tv i think could for example have the challenger mm -hmm. tour there as well but instead they have the challenger tour separately where you can stream it on uh, on the ATP Tour website. I don't know if you can stream everything. I don't think so. But I've, I've watched some streams there and it's, it's fine, you know. But it's obviously yeah. not maybe the glamorous courts. Depends a bit how big the challenger is, how funded mm -hmm. it is and so on. But the tennis is, of course, of good level, you know. And this mm -hmm. is maybe where we come into a point where, like if maybe the um, there was more of an entertaining, shorter format of the matches, you could build some interest like maybe the lower level you go in tennis that's a maybe an interesting way of putting it but it's like the matches are shorter or more engaging in that sense so you like you have a faster turnaround of matches not so much strain on the body and then when you get to the like real money making level that's where the matches can be a bit longer because it's like mm. a different thing you know uh, i don't know if that's something worth considering but now it's like you you're gonna have like three hour three set matches in in you know futures 15k right it's like might not be a tv mm -hmm. product then yeah <laughs> it's interesting uh the the because at the end of the day it's 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 about marketing like all the sports is how much revenue can you get to consistently invest in the sport and make it better year by year and invest in your athletes as well and and i think tennis is in that in that great phase where they're coming out of one sort of timeline and going into another of reinvesting into the team, into the players, reinvesting into the sport to try to make it a bit more um, accessible, but also attractive to to the open public. Yeah, I think, I mean, as a player and as a nerd and as someone who really cares about the sport, you're always thinking about ways like how can tennis benefit from something or how can tennis mm. slot in to somewhere or you're happy when you see like celebrities play tennis but just because it means that people will see this like if it's social media content for example and that will give tennis a little boost you know uh, that tennis yeah. is, is somewhere in a part of it, it feels like um, that that's a nice effect and now we have like the competitor obviously with pickleball being huge and we, we talked about the retirements now Jack Sock uh, John Isner and uh, Jack is going to uh, pickleball after this of course and then also Donald Young you know also to to pick pick a ball yeah so it's yeah, yeah, um yeah. they've done something very good with how they um they attract money to the sport like that's uh it's been easy because it's like a, a hype one but, but it is it is yeah you had there's a lot of of money being invested curious has his own pickleball team he invested with osaka in in miami earlier this year so who knows when you come to the u.s we'll hit the pickleball courts and uh <laughs> We'll see how it goes. We'll take the Nordic yeah. Knox, uh paddles, the pickleball paddles. Yeah, but you, yeah, you, you're more into paddle, I guess. Like, how, how often yeah, do you play yeah, paddle? Yeah. No, here there aren't any courts nearby. So whenever I go to Spain, that's that's when I play. But when I go, you can't get me off the court. I love it. It's it's such a great sport. Um, it has a lot of variability just by having the walls on the side. Um, that I I love it. Like it's 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 good. If there was more paddle here, I I might decrease my tennis hours <laughs> uh, to go to the federal court. Yeah, yeah, I know it's, it's, it's happening, especially to like tennis players that played on like a high level. I see them like if they, obviously you played so much tennis that maybe it's nice to get a break from it, right? Like my friend Nikki, for example, plays a lot of paddle now and, uh, and you see mm. that happen, right? Like it's okay, all the hours on the tennis court, paddle is a little bit more maybe 
not so much strenuous on the body as tennis. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, it's a smaller court. Okay, you move, but it, it's a little bit different in pace and different in in surface as well. Because like a hard court mm-hmm. playing tennis on hard, very hard hard courts, it's quite tough on the body, right? On the body, for sure, for sure. Where do you play in, in DC when you play? What's your what's your club? Honestly, uh, I, so I don't train at a club. I'll play at any any court. Um, to be honest, I have you know fortunately a good good number of players in the area to hit with. So it's about who to play with and where. That's about it. It's there's no set location or a set player. Um, I play with anyone and and pretty much everywhere. So wherever their courts, um, sometimes I'll drive 45 minutes. I'll drive an hour to to play at some courts. But for me, it's it's the time on the court more than anything that, that I enjoy. So pretty much anywhere. You name it, and I and I'll might be there that weekend. That's good. Uh, what are the court fees like? Is it expensive there now? No, With- no. Fortunately, it's, there's public courts um, all across the country and schools as well. When you Any sort of elementary, middle, high school that has courts, if it's not a private high school, um, they're open to the public. So there aren't any court fees, which, is, which is, I think is great, at least in... In the majority of the U.S., um, it's different. For example, in New York, where it's a bit more expensive and you have to reserve courts, but here uh, it's it's pretty much open um, to the public at any any place. Like for example, maybe a 20-minute drive from my house, they have nine courts with lights, and it's free. Um, of course, they're packed every day at every hour, but uh, but yeah, they're free. So fortunately, it's it's accessible and it's not. Um, expensive in terms of the court fees outdoors outdoors indoors is a different story yeah yeah indoors obviously it's different like it's the same i mean we don't even have indoor courts here in marbella in spain right Mm. so there's like i mean i'm i grew up indoors because in sweden the weather is against you right so you're playing outdoors on clay in the summer and then then you move in and you play indoors the rest of the year pretty much and by here it's like if it's raining not much tennis like and if you can have like situations where you have I think we had it a few months ago where it was like we had Dan Evans here, you, you know, Nikki was stringing for him. We had Muguruza, I even strung her rackets and we had a bunch mm-hmm. of players, right? And it was raining for days and uh, Chapo was here as well. Mm. And nobody could play, like there was nowhere to play. Like we couldn't, because there's, there's a few uh, courts under a roof. Uh, still, like if you have side rain, it's going to be pretty terrible, but it's like in Torre Vieja or somewhere and it's like... Yeah. It's, so it's pretty grim when it rains, but it luckily doesn't rain that often here. So otherwise, it's it's uh, it's good clay stuff. But yeah, no, I loved it. I loved it when I went. Um, don't be don't be shocked if uh, I retire there <laughs> in the future. It's a good place. Uh, you are very it's welcome. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, no, yeah. it's beautiful. The course we played at were ten out of ten. Honestly, it's beautiful facility, uh, and I love and I love the area. So um next time i go i'll let you know and and i'll be moving there for sure in a couple of years <laughs> no it's a, i mean i would say it's a very good place to live and uh, i mean our the idea my free me and my friends we talk about it like how we can make it even more about tennis hub right like yeah maybe have yeah. even more courts or push it even harder because um in, in spain tennis regions are kind of like in you know barcelona is a lot of tennis alicante but mm-hmm. now I think Marbella is, is it's not so bad, right? So it's just like getting yeah, especially there. Especially with know, and... Puente Romano. You know, it's beautiful yeah, yeah. club, great courts. And you have a lot of pros practicing there, you know, throughout the year during their off season, including Djokovic. So it can definitely become, I think it already is a, a decent tennis size hub. Yeah, exactly. So I think it can be even more. So uh, more tournaments. Mm-hmm. Now there's, mm-hmm. I mean, they have the ITF seniors. They have 
one ITF, uh, my friend arranges that, and uh, now they will start like uh, doing a bit of more prize money tournaments also for like no. any level, right? So it's going to be, a, I'm playing an open on the f in a few days right here, which like, it's a thousand euro prize money, but it's like, it's good, you know, you, you yeah. would fun. it's a four day tournament, anyone can oh, enter. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, no, you'll have to let me know how it goes. That's, 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 that's really nice. Next time I go, then yeah, yeah. I'll it's gonna be tough. sign up for a yeah, tournament. As soon as you put well, money, the sharks are there, you know, it's like yeah. the, all the, the tennis people, sharks. People show up. Yeah, 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 yeah. The more prize money, the higher the level, for sure. Yeah, yeah, you can see, like, in here, you can have, like, a guy who's, uh, who's like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, I was uh, 200, like, uh, you know, if it, well, last year, you know, and they were like, oh, yeah, well, yeah. there's a thousand euro, I'm going to play. <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, yeah no, it's that's, that's really nice. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah, so I'll do some footage from there. Like, also, I ask my friends who are good players to play. So, good, good. Have a good yeah, group. no, I'll definitely uh, watch that then when you post it. No, I can recommend, like, that, that's part of it. That's, that's good. Like, if you're, uh, it's a good retirement place, right? Good summer place, mm -hmm. but, but a good retirement place, especially like the States can be a bit more grindy, like, in a way, like the, the lifestyle here, it's a little bit more tranquilo, you know, so it's uh, a bit different. Good food, good both, music, both good weather. Different ways. Good people, good tennis. That's it. You yeah. don't need any more than that. That's all you need, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and your girlfriend is already in Spain, so you need to need to get yeah, her yeah, sooner yeah. or later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was here a little bit ago, um, which was which was great. She came during that week of the city open, so it was good spending time together. And then, yeah, uh, probably December is the next time that that I'll go. Uh, but it's mm -hmm. not too bad. Like even from some places, you can go direct now. Like uh, so quite a few places in Europe. Yeah, yeah, and I know in the summer there's direct flight Madrid DC. It's only available in the summer months, so could be a good option as well. Um, but I know that throughout the year, the, the direct flights go on and go off depending on the city uh, that you're flying to. Do you have any like long um, goals, plans, dreams for uh, for your tennis uh, in in like terms of like restring? And uh, I mean, you have your Instagram account as well. But what would you want it to be in like five years? Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. So I I don't think about it enough. You know, some people say that you always have to have some sort of five, ten year goals. Uh, for me, it's I focus a lot on the present. That's where my mind is. It's what can I do now to be better. Definitely, the goal for five years is one hundred percent to to stay involved in the tennis community. Um, and I, I honestly, I take it day by day. I, I I want to be better tomorrow than I am today. I work long long hours and I work hard, and I'm not scared to work even harder. Um, so honestly, it's, it's, I can, I can easily, yeah, I'll be happy to put in the work. And if we can have a positive impact, whether it's with restring the Instagram account or me personally, if we can have a positive impact in the tennis community, grow, grow as a person, but grow the community as well and give back, which I think is really important. It resonates with me a lot since tennis has given me a lot of connections and just life lessons. If I can give back along the way, for me, that's that'll be critical. So for me, yeah, the five-year goal is to to grow as a person, grow restring, grow the Instagram account as much as I can. But if I can give back in five years more than I'm giving back today, um, that for me is is a you know a check mark. I'll be happy with that. Is that something you got instilled from your parents, or is something you like come across that you want to be at least you know giving value back with your existence? Yeah. You know, it's kind of similar for to what I think. You know. For sure, yeah. I, I don't want to take anything uh, for granted. You know, when when we moved to to Japan, um, Argentina and Japan, they're they're not close. You have to take, you know, a fourteen hour flight from Tokyo to DC, and then a twelve hour flight from DC to Argentina. Um, so you're spending over twenty four hours on the plane. It's you know, and you're far from home. So if anything ever happens, it's 
it's difficult being far away. So my parents have sacrificed a lot to get um, to, you know, to, to have the life that we did and, and be able to live in Japan. So for me, it's, it's not taking anything for granted, I'm trying to maximize each moment. And that's, for example, one of the main reasons I still um, take Japanese lessons. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to lose my Japanese, uh, whether it's written, speaking, writing uh, or reading. It's I want to continue to have it with me. I want to live in Japan again. Uh, so, you know, one of the main reasons is to, to maintain or one of the main reasons I maintain, try to maintain my Japanese is to go back. So not taking anything for, for granted and, and trying to maximize what I can, to be honest. I mean, I've never been to Japan. Like my friend went first time now for some creative, like inspiration trip. He's a designer. And he said hey, he was spent, spent a whole month there, you know, on his own. And as a challenge for himself, like he left his girlfriend at home, but she had to work. And, and uh, he said it was like eye-opening. He said it was like such an amazing trip and really gave him lots of energy and, and stuff like this. He's also struggling with some immune diseases. So for him, it was just like a, a huge challenge for him, but it was, it was impressive. And, and he loved it. So um, what's so good about Japan? Like what do you, what do you miss from there? Where do you live? Uh, and yeah. what would you recommend to me, for example, if I go to Japan? No, for me, it's, it's the entire lifestyle in a way. The, the Japanese are very, first, it's a very safe country. So it's great for kids. Honestly, you have uh, on the train five, six-year-old kids, eight-year-old kids that go to school you know, on their own to, to kindergarten, to elementary school. It's, it's that safe. Uh, if you lose your wallet, if you go back to the place where you lost it, it'll still be there, put on the side so no one, no one steps on it. It's, it's extremely safe. It's a very respectable culture. Which, which I like as well. Um, they're indirect with the way of speaking as well. So pros and cons to that. Um, and I, the Japanese are very nice. I like the culture. I like the way, you know, the communication is, how they go about their day by day. Um, the Japanese lifestyle as well is about being happy and having a purpose. You know, you've probably heard the, the word ikigai, which is fulfillment in a way. So yeah. I think that that's really important and resume, resonates a lot with me and how I want to live in a way my day to day or, or week by week is, is trying to maximize my potential in a way. So for me, it's, it's the complete package. Food is great. People are great um, overall. So that's one of the main reasons or you know, those are all the reasons why I'd like to go back and, and live there. Yeah, you sold it really well. No, I, I also like that. Um, mm. I mean, I mean, sometimes you like if you have an old school perspective of like Japanese culture it's like they push themselves too hard like they work too much but there's mm. also so much like respect and um, and like the, you know just the safety is a huge thing now today when some places in Europe and where the world mm -hmm. are very dangerous places and it's also that mm, like mm, that mm. everybody's kind of respectful towards each other which is something we should all strive towards so it's such a nice seems like it's such a nice feeling in the air kind of you know, yeah, respect it is and, and it's also the contrast in, in scenery as well um, you have a beach, you have mountains, uh, you know, Tokyo is one of the biggest city, one of the most populated cities in the world. And then if you take, you know, the, the Shinkansen, the bullet train, uh, an hour or two south, you can be in the middle of, of nowhere. Uh, so that as well for me, the, the scenic side is, is, is beautiful. You have everything you can imagine in a way. Wow, yeah. Yeah, you sold it. I have to, <laughs> I have to go. They even have some, yeah. some tennis there. How is, yeah, te how no, is the tennis scene? The, the tennis scene in, in Japan, nice, nice. I enjoy it. I was, yeah, I played in a, in like a, a federation, like the USTA in the US. It's, I, it's called JOP, Japan Open Play, uh, is what I played there with, with Nick as well. We played doubles there. 
um, growing up, uh, we would wear matching matching outfits when we were, you know, 13, 14 years old. So um, tennis scene was great. Um, with the uprising of Nishikori at the time, um, slowly Osaka, um, that that helped um, a lot bring lift up the tennis community. So it was good, good level. Um, to be honest, it, it got pretty competitive and and I enjoyed it. The the only thing I didn't like was the they have a surface there where, where it's quite popular. It's called Omni, which is grass with um, with the sand, or ah, sorry, yeah, carpet with the sand on top, and it's quite quite popular. Um, at least when you know when I was growing up. Uh, so all the tournaments were on that surface, and I I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I prefer hard court. <laughs> yeah, that, that's funny because I just uh, got the question on. I, I recently published a, or to, tonight I published a YouTube video about the mm. A6 gel resolution nine and clay court. Like it's a, it's a delayed review. I should have done it earlier, but um, and it, I, I I really like that shoe. It's a great shoe. And someone mm -hmm. commented like, uh, "Do you have a recommendation for Omni courts?" And I had, uh, and this I, I didn't know until you told me. Now I had no idea what it is. Right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I it's, was like, Omni. <laughs> what is Omni? It's like, is it all courts? What what is Omni? Because even with like Omni is a word where it could mean like all types of courts, right? Yeah, but it's, yeah, yeah. I know so the, the surface. Is. I don't like it either. I think it's kind of an injury prone surface. No, it's like you can really slip there. No. Yeah, the, the difficult part is the sand. The the sand distribution has to be even, and it's tough to see sometimes. Um, you might, because if, if there's no sand, it's, it's a carpet uh, and you can't slide. It's, it's meant to be a surface like clay where you can slide on. But if you start sliding and during the slide, there's no sand, you'll, you'll, you hit carpet. So you, you might twist an ankle. So that's the difficult part. The reason I don't like it is because kind of like on clay, once that starts sliding, you know, I'll, I'll be playing on court one. And when I begin sliding, I'll stop at court five. Like I'll, I'll go on. I don't know how to stop <laughs> too well on the sliding. So on the hard court, that's why I prefer it. You can control how much, how far you slide. Um, but yeah, it's it's a only is is definitely a very it's a great surface. It's interesting. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much what what I grew up playing on. That's cool. I I, I haven't. I know there's some artificial now, now grass. Now you can respond to that question. <laughs> I I will. Thanks to you. Yeah yeah. Then I don't have any good recommendations though because I don't know if you can maybe help me. But will click court shoes be correct or should you use like hardcore shoes for the old court shoes i i used hardcore for everything so uh, i i still do so i don't know i've never used a clay court shoe or a grass court it was hard for one pair of shoes for all the for all the tennis courts they said that you can actually use grass court shoes pretty well on clay but i never tried that but i'm not a big slider either but you slide on hardcore as well like medvedev or... yeah 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 Breaking shoelaces. I guess you have to do that today. Like this, the game has changed so much. You need to be that explosive. Like you can actually slide on hard courts. Like otherwise, you—that's a way to control your movement better, right? Yeah, it's few players that aren't sliding these days. To be honest, there's not. These the older guys, don't... like Vavrinka, you won't see sliding on a hard court. Like that's no mm. chance, right? But... Yeah, no chance. No, no, not with those knees. No chance. <laughs> but then all the younger guys, explosive Alcaraz, you know, Runo, those guys, they slide all of them, right? Yeah, and yeah, Djokovic yeah. Probably all slides of them. As well. Yeah. Oh, Alcaraz is on a different level with sliding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just like so explosive. His legs are just like tree trunks, right? So, so impressive. Yeah, yeah, they are. So it'll be interesting as well, you know, to see how he does at the US Open. He can probably go quite far, semi-finals for sure. I think his match against Sinner, if they meet, um, will be will be one of the matches of the tournament for sure. Yeah, I, I put that in my bracket as well. Like that match is key because Sinner is also in good form and on a hard court, it's hard to knock him off the court. Like he's so mm. 
like good at just dealing with pace and giving you pace back all the time. So I think it's going to be rough that one, uh, but yeah, yeah. great tennis, like great tennis level. Right. Yeah. And I'll join the, the U S open that the, the, the chat, the leaderboard later. So you can see me. Yeah. Yeah. My, I, I'm going to be last <laughs> because just based on the few results I've seen, I'm going to watch a bit before I go to bed now, but uh, just the results I've seen are like, wow, it's not good. We will see. <laughs> you seem like such a positive guy. I think you should uh, do like mental inspiration to other people online. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I try to be positive, try to look on the, on the best side of everything, but yeah, always conscious that you have to, you have to put in the work always. Um, yeah. And I, and I, that's what I love as well is, is what goes on behind the scenes is you want to see a nice product at the end of the tunnel. Um, but the, the hard work is where you learn is where you grow, where you make mistakes. So I enjoy the process of, of that also. I'm in a reading phase right now uh, where I read a lot of books and I don't, I mean, I used to write fiction, so I, I read a lot of fiction, but I completely stopped reading fiction and I'm not writing it that much anymore. Um, I write other stuff, but do you have any like books you're reading right now in terms of maybe finance books or self help books or productivity books or what, what are you into? Yeah, no, for me that it's a bit vague. It's a bit monotone, but the, I like business books. Um, I like yeah. entrepreneur books. So I, I like to hear why a business, you know, succeeded, but there's a lot of books, for example, the, the founder of Patagonia, he has a, he's written a great book. Same thing with the founder of Nike with shoe dog founder of ASICS. Um, they have, they all have books, uh, that they talk about why they succeeded, uh, but the struggles within there. So that's what I like to see. And I try to resonate with, with restring really as much as I can throughout and see if the challenges that they've had, how to prevent it, uh, how to prevent restring from having it. So those are the books really that, that I like is, is all entrepreneur business oriented and to, to learn from their mistakes. So I don't have to hopefully have the same ones or if there's something that worked for them. Hey, can I do the same thing so that it might work for me? Could this be an, uh, an option or, or a route we can take? So that's right now where my biggest interest is. Before it was all finance, stock market oriented, but now it's a bit more on the <laughs> entrepreneurial side. Yeah, I think it's good to change. I mean, like I, I do maybe phases where I, and I buy like three, four books. I usually do like Kindle books mm. uh, and I then you can get them straight away, right? So you have a fix. It's yeah. almost like YouTube. You can just click a video and you watch it, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I listen to a lot of like modern wisdom, stuff like that on podcasts and stuff, um, finance, science, whatever. But I have a face now. I'm reading like different types of books, but like more like, you know, no, kind of entrepreneur books in that way or like like this, how to eliminate distractions in the, you know, online space we're living now and stuff like that, right? Building mm -hmm. atomic habits, I downloaded some book, um, how like a sales book from this famous um, fitness guy, Hormosi, I think, or Alex Hormosi or something like that. Yeah, oh, he okay, wrote okay, about okay. hundred million yeah dollars sales something. I'm butchering it, but yeah. So I think reading is very important. Like, and I, I you know, you can easily leave it for a while. So you need to kind mm. of have a good habit. I think it's like tennis with your training or anything. You have a good habit for it. You need to do it a little bit every day. Um, is that what you're doing? Mm -hmm. You're trying to read a bit every day or yeah, yeah, for me, it's not like I have one set to path for me. It's, it's as long as I can learn with what I'm doing, whether it's reading, whether it's a podcast, I struggle a bit more with podcasts, but if I can learn, um, like on driving, for example, podcasts are great because I can focus a little bit better, but as long as I can get something out of it, 
that for me is is my go-to. Um, so there's no one route specifically that that I'd like to go with during certain times, but it's it's more or less if I can get something out of it, I, I'll I'll choose that one. Well, man, we've been doing this uh, twice now for a few. <laughs> we've not been talking for five hours, but we we did in two sessions, which is which is cool. Two sets. Yeah. Uh, I, I lost both it. of them, but that's okay. I don't I know. Take it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's been great. Uh, you're a very inspirational uh, young dude. I think it's it's good, and I think people will uh, enjoy listening to you. And uh, I wish you all the best with Restring. And we will, of course, keep in touch and hopefully play yeah. more tennis when you get back into Marbella, or I come and visit you and your girl in, in Madrid, uh, which would be nice as well. Or in D.C., which I, I need to go back to. I, I actually had like an One invitation to go this year, but... Couldn't make it with the time because I was in Sweden for a few weeks and it didn't work out really 100%. We'll make it happen. No, but Jonas, thanks so much, honestly, for... I enjoyed the podcast, enjoyed talking to you. It's, it's been great and I love what you're doing with, with Tennis Third, adding a new angle, being able to speak with so many in different angles of the tennis community, which I think is really nice, whether it's Karud tomorrow, Ricky May, you know, previous coaches, or other Instagram or other YouTubers, um, like Essential Tennis. I think what you're doing is, is really nice. So a privilege really to, to be able to speak with you and, and be on the, on the podcast. Cool, man. I'm happy to hear. And uh, we'll keep in touch. Have a nice Perfect. rest of the day now. <laughs> Thanks, Jonas. Take care. Thanks. Okay.